there's, there's something nice about just getting something. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you are driving through a drive-thru maybe, and you get to the front of the drive-thru window to pay for your meal and something happens. You get ready to pay and the drive-thru person says, I'm sorry, like it's already taken care of. The person in front of you already paid for it. It's an amazing feeling. And you start asking like, well, I didn't deserve this. I don't know anything about this. And and that's just it. You receive something that you had no reason to actually get. So, sir, tell me your name. Bob. Bob? Bob? Nice to meet you, Bob. Have we really met before? Um, no. I, uh, yes, no. I'm not sure if I've met you before. If not, I'm sorry. Hey, I've got something for you right there. Now, as far as I know, you don't deserve that whatsoever. <laughs> you might think, no, no, that's yours. You might think you deserve it, but as far as I know, you don't deserve it. So, Bob, what I handed you, a $100 gift card to Longhorn Steakhouse. You can go and have dinner. You can take me to lunch. You can take the whole row to dinner tonight, whatever you want to do, but that one's yours. And it's, again, as far as I know, Bob, you don't deserve it. I want to make that super clear. You don't deserve it at all. Now, something interesting happens when something is given, when something is received, especially when you don't deserve it. Now, if I told you a great story about something awesome Bob did, which I'm sure he did something great this last week, but we could celebrate that and be like, oh, yeah, congratulations. You deserve it. Way to go. It's different when it's, I don't think you deserve it at all, yet here you go. Because it has nothing to do with him, and it has everything to do with just the goodness of my heart that I wanted to do something nice for Bob sitting in that seat today, right? And something happened even in the crowd. Something even, you could hear it and you could feel it. The moment I handed it to him and said what it was, there was almost like this shock of like, oh, no way, are you serious? And now let's be honest for a second, there was even a little bit of bitterness in there, wasn't there? There was a little bit of like, he didn't deserve that. Why is he getting it? I was actually gonna sit in that seat. And then he sat down and took my seat. Bob said he didn't deserve it. I definitely deserve it. So there's even maybe a little bit of bitterness of, well, why did he get it and why didn't I get it? I deserve it, he didn't deserve it. But generally speaking, when you see someone receive something that wasn't deserved, when you receive something that is not deserved, one response, gratitude thankfulness, amazement. I'm blown away. Seriously, there's got to be a reason why. And you're trying to seek why. And all it does is put you in awe of the gratitude of the giver. That's the story of Jonah. Because the story of Jonah is all about grace. And grace is us receiving something we don't deserve. We could never deserve it. We could never earn it. It's God's free gift. That's the story of Jonah. I'm going to steal a definition of grace from Pastor Ben Stewart, pastor of Passion City, D.C., and he says grace is this. I love this. When undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift. Let me say it again. When undeserving people, that's us, we don't deserve anything. When undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver, it's not that he has to, it's not that he should, it's not that he needs to, it's because he wants to. God's not obligated to give us anything. So when undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, and that's the gift of grace, what's our response? Same as Bob's. Excitement, thrilled, appreciation, gratitude, amazement at what was given, even though it was never deserved. Jonah chapter one, we looked at last week, we saw God's grace in the form of chasing after Jonah. Remember what happened? 
God called Jonah, said, Jonah, I'm calling you, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach my good news to them so they would change their ways and follow me. Scripture tells us that Jonah got up and went the complete opposite direction. And as Jonah runs away, God does something. He chases after Jonah. God calls, Jonah runs. God chases, and that's grace. Because when God chases after us, it's to rescue us, and it's to give us grace and to give us life. And we are all like Jonah. We said that last week, that God calls us. He calls us to, to follow him. He calls us to live his way. He calls us, and what do we tend to do? We tend to run away and do our own thing. Yet God chases after you, and he chases after me, and he gives us grace. When undeserving people, like me and like you and like Jonah, when undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver, an amazing gift, an unbelievable gift. Our response is gratitude. So we're in Jonah chapter two today, and we're gonna see that grace really from Jonah's lips. And we're gonna see the gift that God has given Jonah and more so how Jonah describes it. Because if grace received causes us to have this amazing gratitude, uh, attitude and, and spirit and heart, then we're gonna see that in Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do. If not, if you're new around here, let me explain. I want you to have your Bible either on your phone, download the YouVersion Bible app. I use the New Living Translation. Look for NLT, you can download that one. Or right out here where you got your coffee, there's a bunch of Bibles. Make sure you pick up a Bible because I keep saying it, one of these days, I'm gonna pull this screen down and you're gonna to have to look at the Bible for yourself and you're gonna to have to stop taking my word for it. So Jonah chapter two, we're gonna split it up into two parts. You're gonna see what I'm talking about and how Jonah talks about his situation and then what God does. Here it is, Jonah two, starting in verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. That's where we left off into chapter one last week was Jonah got swallowed by the great fish. He's now in the belly of this great fish and here's his prayer. It almost sounds like a song. Almost comes across as even a poem. Verse two, Jonah said this, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. Now Jonah's gonna describe for the next few verses all that great trouble. What exactly what was his troubling situation? Here it is. I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more to your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed around me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. What a situation Jonah is in. Like that's literally rock bottom. It doesn't get any worse than this. And Jonah's using language, some literal, some figurative, to describe how he's feeling and the situation that he's in. Right? He's saying that this is as deep as I can go. This is as far as I can possibly go. I am in a terrible spot. He even describes his situation as in the land of the dead. I don't see how I can get out of this. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's be honest for a second. So Jonah's describing what it's like to be away from God. Yet in chapter one, remember God calls, Jonah runs. Like Jonah wanted to be away from God. Bible says that Jonah tried to sail away from the Lord. He went in the opposite direction. So if I'm being very candid and maybe even a little blunt here, Jonah deserves this. 
He got exactly what he wanted. He got exactly what he asked for. Jonah wanted to be away from God. Here you go. Jonah wanted to go in the opposite direction of God. Here he is. And now that he's in that situation, now that he is far from God, he's like, oh no, what have I done? How did I get this far? How could I have allowed this to happen? Jonah runs, but God chases, doesn't he? So look at what happens next. So we got to the beginning of verse six. Look at how Jonah changes his tone. So he just described all the trouble that he's in, all, all the, the, the distance he had between him and God, how far away he was, how, how, how horrible of a situation he's in. And then look what happens next. He says, but, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I, no, I will be different. He said, no, I'm going to change. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. Don't forget where he's at. He's in the belly of a great fish. He's far from where he's supposed to be. He says, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows. In other words, I will go back the way that you called me. I will follow you from now on, God. Verse nine, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. If you're taking notes, circle the word alone. We're gonna come back to it later. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Lastly, verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, quick observation before we dive into Jonah's prayer here. Quick observation that there's a lot of characters in the story of Jonah. You have Jonah, you have the city of Nineveh, God obviously, and this fish. Out of all the characters, minus God, you know who the, the most faithful character is in this entire story? The fish. The fish. Chapter one, God said to the fish, go and swallow Jonah. And the fish said, okay, sounds good. Don't know why. I've never done this before, but sure. And it swallows Jonah. And then in chapter two, God says, all right, he's been in there long enough, three days, three nights, go ahead and spit him out. And the fish says, oh, this is a really weird thing, but okay, whatever, spits him back up. The fish is more in tune with God's heart, more in tune with God's words, more in tune with God's voice than Jonah. There's something there. Be more like the fish, less like Jonah, I guess would be the point there. But keep going. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. There's three verses that really speak to God's grace here. And again, that's what Jonah's doing. This song, this prayer, this poem that Jonah is giving is all about God's grace. The first about six and a half verses are all about the great trouble that he was in. And then it switches. But you, O Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. So then he says, but you rescued me. You saved me. You gave me grace. So what we see Jonah do is exactly what we do when we receive something that we don't deserve. When an undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver, an unbelievable gift, what's the result? Gratitude. And we see that from Jonah. Here's the situation I was in. And it was my fault. Like, I'm where I, I'm where I am because that's the decisions I made. But God gave me something I didn't deserve. And so this is his prayer, his song, his poem of gratitude because of the grace that God had given Jonah. So three verses that are really gonna highlight God's grace. Verse two, verse six, verse nine. Let's go through them. Verse two, notice what Jonah says. He explains the situation and then something that happened that's a little bit shocking. He says, from inside the fish, he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead as far as I possibly could be from God and Lord, you still heard me. 
See, what we take away, away from that within the grace of God is this, that you are never so far away from God that he can't reach you. Never so far away from God that he cannot or will not reach you. Remember, Jonah runs and God chases. But so often when we relate to Jonah, when we feel like we are at rock bottom, when we feel like we're in a place that's so far away from where we should be and where God has called us to be, we tend to feel like, well, God won't listen to me. God can't hear from me. I'm too far away. And we start believing that lie. And it's not true. We see it in Jonah's life. We also see it throughout the Psalms. Man, a great study for you personally. Go through the Psalms. Just read a Psalm a day. And what you're going to see are two extremes within the Psalms. You're going to see the, the extremes of how great God is. And then you're going to see the extremes of how greatly we need God. Both of those are in Psalms all the time. Psalm 40 speaks to exactly what Jonah experienced, far away from God, but guess what? God still heard, and God still met, met us right where we are. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Look, and he turned to me and heard my cry. We're never too far away from him. Verse 2, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. I love that because it's not just, hey, I showed up and you're back on your own again. No, God continues to walk with us along the way. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed because that's what happens when we see God's grace given. And they will put their trust in the Lord. What King David wrote there is very similar to what Jonah is writing here. I don't deserve it. I'm in a bad spot. But God still shows up. God calls. We run. God chases and gives us grace. Not because we deserve it. Most definitely not because we have done anything to earn it. But because he loves us and desires to be with us. Now, here's the next thing that we see. That's verse two. Go to verse six. Again, we see verse six split into two parts, the first part and the latter part. The first part says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. I don't think, I can't think of anything worse than that. <laughs> That's a terrible spot to be in. But here's the flip side. But you, O Lord, my God, snatch me from the jaws of death. So I don't deserve it. Look at where I am. But you still showed up and rescued me. You still saved me. You gave me grace. Here's what we learn about grace. That grace doesn't work by working harder. We said it last week, but this is a theme for this week. Grace doesn't work by working harder. If you notice the first part of verse six, it's not that Jonah said, I was sinking down to the deep and I was trying really hard to tread water. It wasn't I was sinking down to the depths and I was trying to swim myself back up to get air. No, it's I'm sinking I can't do anything about it. In fact, notice all the language that Jonah uses that describes distance. He uses words like depth and distance, beneath, beneath multiple times, sinking down. All these words describe a distance between God that he cannot, Jonah cannot do anything about. Grace doesn't work by you working harder. In fact, really, if you want to think that's true, that's really the definition of karma. Karma has to do with what you do, right? If you believe in karma, then what you believe is, well, if I do bad things, then bad things happen to me later. If I do good things now, then good things will happen to me later. That's karma. That's not the faith that we follow in Jesus. Because it's not based on me. It's not based on what I do. Think of a bike. 
right? If you're gonna ride a bike, you get on, and if you want the bike to work, what do you have to do? You have to pedal, not a trick question. What do you have to do? Pedal, that's right. We all can ride a bike, it sounds like, I hope. So you ride a bike by pedaling. If you wanna go faster on your bike, what do you have to do? You have to pedal faster. If you wanna go slower on the bike, what do you have to do? You pedal slower, that's right. So you pedal to get the bike going, and then if you stop pedaling, You'll coast for a little bit and then you'll eventually stop, which means you have to be pedaling some more. It takes work. In order for the bike to work, you have to work hard. And that's the culture we live in. That's the world that we live in. In order for something to work, well, you have to work at it and you have to work harder and you have to keep working. But in our faith, grace does not work that way. Grace works because of God's heart, not because of your work you put into it. God has a heart that is gracious and he desires to give it freely, not because you have earned it, not because you deserve it. See, grace is for the Jonas of the world. And we are all like Jonah. Grace is for those that do run away. That's when grace is at its best, is when we are the farthest away from him. That's when God's grace shines because we don't deserve it. When undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, we can't help but be amazed and be full of gratitude. That's verse six. Now verse nine. Said we were gonna come back to remember the word you were supposed to remember. You hopefully circled it. It was the word. Yes. Kudos to my Woodlands team. The word alone at the end of verse nine, for my salvation comes from the Lord. Say it with me. Comes from the Lord alone. It's not, and my salvation comes from the Lord and me. It's not in the, and my salvation comes from the Lord and all those other people that were helping me. It's not in my salvation comes from the Lord and my extra credit and my hard work and my dedication and my hopes and dreams and desires. No, it's my salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord alone, period. So why? Like this is a fascinating question to ask about God's grace. Why? Why is he an unobligated giver? Why does he give grace freely to the undeserving? Verse nine helps us understand. God chases us for this one reason. You ready? Because he wants to rescue us. That's it. He wants to. I said it earlier, not because he has to, not because he needs to, not because somebody tells him that he should. It's because he wants to. He desires to. It's in his nature, it's in his character to give us grace. It's not as if God is walking around like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're doing this again. I told them not to run, they ran. I guess I'll go do something. No, it's his joy. It's why he chases after us because he loves to rescue us again and again and again. God calls, we run. God loves to chase after us because he loves to give us grace and he loves to rescue us. He loves to be the one to rescue us. Our salvation comes from the Lord alone. When I was about eight or nine, I couldn't say the exact age probably, eight or nine years old, uh, the church that I was growing up in, my dad actually worked at that church and he taught a class called Steps of Faith. Most churches have something like this where it helps kids, especially in that age group, learn what that means. 
Learn what it means for God to rescue you. Learn what that big word of salvation really means. And I'll never forget, in fact, I was texting with him this last week. I was like, Dad, I totally remember this. Do you remember this? He's like, I'm shocked you remember this. I'm like, yeah, it was changing, changed my life. So what he did is there was a classroom with me and other kids my age, and he started to tell us the story. He said, well, in the beginning was God. God has always been. But God chose to be with us. So God created, I know I'm a great artist, you don't have to tell me about it. So God created us, right? He created me, he created you. In the very beginning, we get the account in Genesis, he created Adam and Eve, and he created us to be with us, to walk with us, to talk with us, to have a relationship with us, for us to glorify him, for us to worship him. And it was a perfect situation, but something happened. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Some of you have seen this before, but something happened and it wasn't God's fault. It was all our fault. And what we did, as my dad explained to me and another, an entire group of like eight and nine-year-olds, is that we became separated from God. Sin came into the world. I sin, you sin, we sin by running away from God. When we say no to God and yes to ourselves, we're sinning and moving away from God, just like Jonah did, just like we do today. So sin comes into the world and into our lives, and all of a sudden, we're now separated from God. And there's no way we can get to God. There's no way for us to have that relationship with God again. There's nothing we can do. In Jonah's words, we have sunk down to the land of the dead. Seaweed is wrapped around our head. Now, as a nine-year-old, I'm not thinking that necessarily. But that's what's happened. We are no longer with God the way that God intended for us to be. Like we said, God loves to chase after us. He loves to come after us. He loves to be our rescuer. So God does just that. There was no other way for us to get to God. So God came to us through his son, Jesus. And Jesus had to do something that only Jesus could do to get us back to God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Some of you are like, oh. Some of you have seen this before. I mean, if you've been in church for a little bit, you've probably seen this. But for an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, I was like, oh, that's why I need Jesus. Because I can't get to God without him. I can't get past my sin without Jesus. And this small little example that my dad drew on a piece of paper at a table with a bunch of eight and nine-year-olds helped me understand what Jonah said in verse nine, that my salvation comes from the Lord, one more time, what was the word? Comes from the Lord alone. It's only from him. And he loves to chase after you and he loves to rescue you. Romans chapter three, verse 23, tells us just that. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his, what's it say? See, that's why you need your Bible. Sometimes that's not fast enough. In his grace, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's what we learn about grace. We learn that we're never too far away from him and he can always reach down and grab us. He's always, he's closer than you think. He's always there. We also begin to recognize, oh, that it's not the work that we put into it that he loves to give the free gift of grace. And why does he do it? Because he wants to rescue you. He wants you to be with him again. 
John was almost seven years old. He was a couple weeks before his seventh birthday, and his mother passed away. And his mom was everything to him. In fact, his mom was a very devout Christian and a believer, taught John how to pray, how to read his Bible, all the things. But now that John's mom was gone, he, of course, was being raised by his father. John's father was a sea captain, and so it makes sense that John would eventually, over time, follow in his father's footsteps and also became a sailor. John decided not just to be a sailor for any ship. John found that it was a lot more financially savvy to go to work on slave trade ships. So John, in his life, was going back and forth from Africa to England, working on the slave trade boats. John also, as he grew, developed a reputation for quite literally what we would say is the definition of a drunken sailor. Everything about John was just a wreck, an absolute wreck. In fact, some of his reputation says that he could curse for 30 minutes straight with Nat without ever repeating himself. Like, that's borderline impressive. <laughs> Not that I want my kids to grow up that way, but I'm like, it's kind of impressive. But the reputation that John had gained was absolutely despicable. Nobody wanted to be around John. Nobody liked John. Like, you could truly say everybody that John was around, everybody hated him. In fact, on one of his trips on the slave trade boats, his crew got so fed up with him that they kicked him off the boat, deserted him on an island, and left him because they didn't want to be around him anymore. While John was on that island, he actually became enslaved himself. He was captured by the people on that island, and he became a slave. Kind of ironic, which the trade that he was in, now he was a slave himself. Just as slaves, unfortunately, experienced, he experienced the same things, the atrocities of being a slave. He kept writing letters to his dad. You have to come and find me. You have to come and save me. You have to get me out of here. Finally, his dad was able to send a boat and rescue John. Sadly, nothing changed in John's life, though. He went right back to the life that he knew, jumped right back into his former life, got back on the boats with the slave trade, became very successful, became a captain of one of the slave trade boats, in fact, started to own multiple different slave trade ships, being a captain over all of them. It was on one of those journeys that John was down in his quarters. He woke up to realize that his boat and his crew, his ship, was in a terrible storm. Oh, sounds like the story of Jonah, doesn't it? God calls, we run, and God chases. And so often God chases us by sending a storm. That's what happened to John. So John's down in the bottom of the boat with the pumps trying to keep the water out of the boat because he was for sure he was certain that his boat was going to sink and he would die. So he did something in that moment that he had not done in years. He prayed. John prayed that God, if there was such a thing, would save him, would let him survive. The storm quieted down, and John, most certainly with the rest of his crew, survived. But John didn't just survive. He began to change something began to change, change in John's heart. Started small, and over time, the change grew and grew and grew until it changed everything about him. So John was known as a drunken sailor. He was known for being a captain of the slave trade ships. But as God changed his life, you know what John became known for? A pastor. He became a pastor and preacher of a local church in England. Even more so, he became an abolitionist, and he fought tirelessly 
to fight against the slave trade between Africa and England. In fact, before he died, he was actually, actually able to see legislation go into effect that ended the slave trade between Africa and England. Pretty fascinating to see how a man that was known to be a drunken sailor and a slave trader became known as a pastor and an abolitionist, but most likely, you and I know him as something very different. The reputation that he has, you and I know him as something else, and that's a songwriter. As a songwriter, John Newton in 1779 published one of his most famous songs, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. A slave trader, a drunken sailor, does it get any more wretched than that? He was a horrible human being, a terrible man. But Amazing Grace saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. John Newton, in 1779, wrote his life story in what we call now Amazing Grace. Many years later, when John was pretty well on his deathbed at 82, he wrote this, and these are the last known recorded words that we have from John Newton. He wrote, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great savior. I know two things, that I am a great, great sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior. Can the grace of God change a drunken sailor and slave trader into a preacher, pastor, and abolitionist? Yes. Can God's, can God's grace change a, a cheater and a liar into a kind, compassionate, and honest individual? Absolutely. Can God's grace change an addict to being sober? Yes. Can God's grace change the adulterer to the pure? Yes. Can God's grace change the atheist to a believer? Yes. Can God's grace change the bitter and the angry and the brokenhearted to the whole? Yes. God's grace can change you. God's grace has and will continue to change me. God's grace changed Jonah. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. It's grace. When undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, our response is gratitude and thankfulness and joy and love and compassion and kindness, and the list goes on and on and on. So let me say two things to you, and I think you'll um, relate to one of these with where you're at spiritually. First thing, let me tell you this. Accept the free gift of God's grace. You start there. Well, I haven't figured it all out yet. I don't have all the answers. My life is still a wreck. I'm still trying to figure things out. I'm still trying to get going the right way. Stop. Remember, Jonah was sinking. That's when God's grace grabbed him. God will do the exact same thing for you. You're never so far away that God can't reach you. 
So you start there. You say, I am a mess. God, I do need you. I can't do this on my own. That's why I need a savior. So God, would you come into my life? Move into my life. Radically change my life because of your grace and has nothing to do with me. Accept God's grace, the free gift of God's grace. Second thing I would tell you is to live with gratitude and joy because of God's grace. Because that's our response when we're given something we don't deserve. We rejoice and we're thankful. We love others. We serve others. We worship God. And all of that is an outpouring of God's grace, our gratitude of thanking him for him saving us, for him rescuing us. Because we all run and we all get chased by God. And he chases after you again and again and again, and he'll rescue you every single time because that's what our God does. When undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, our response is gratitude. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have already done, for the lives that you have changed and continue to change, how you continue to change our lives even as we pray this. And like Jonah, we all can relate to being in a place far from you. We can all relate to being far from you because of our desire to do our own thing. We all can relate to running away from you. Romans 3.23 tells us we've all sinned and we fall short of your glorious standard. So thank you for your amazing grace that reaches out to us wherever we are. Thank you for your amazing grace that shows up when we don't deserve it. Thank you for rescuing us because it is your heart, it is your nature, and it has nothing to do with our hard work. So Jesus, in this moment, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, we have a heart-to-heart with you individually. Do I need to accept your free gift of grace? If so, we start there. Do I need to live my life with gratitude and joy, thanking you for the grace that you've given me? May we grow in that every single day because of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.